Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, Andrew. Thank you for waving. I appreciate that as always. Mike, you're um, uh, sitting between, well, who we got here? Cat and, and DeAndre Russell. Yeah. Three. Michael, Mike's my background. Zoom, my Zoom background today. Look at all the fans in the stands, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it was last year. Uh, well, from D'Lo. I think there are actually going to be fans in the stands Sunday in Tampa Bay because that's how Florida rolls between the Vikings and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, we'll talk about the matchups going into that game, a game with NFC playoff implications. Your six and six Vikings are currently the seven seed, the special seven seed in the NFC playoff field right now with four games to go. We'll talk about the outlook for that, the meaning of this game, and are they going to be able to win it? Um, and also some other minutia with the injury issues as well. But guys, let's just start off with the Vikings going into a game against a playoff opponent. This, the Bucks right now are also currently a playoff team if they were to start today. We've seen the Vikings rip through a few teams struggling against the Cowboys, but finding ways to win against non-playoff teams in the Jaguars and the Panthers. Um, ben, how does this game stack up just on paper? And it seems to me at least it's a little bit of a jump in difficulty going down to Florida where, hey, there are at least going to be some road fans against a very talented team. Yeah, it is a jump. And I don't think it's a jump as much because of the headliner, which is Tom Brady as the defense. I mean, this is the number one run defense in the league. They have given teams a lot of trouble. I mean, the, the first team to really slow the Packers down was this group where the Packers, I think, got a lead in that game. And then the Buccaneers really took it over from there and gave Aaron Rodgers a lot of trouble, which most people haven't been able to do this season. So you have a team that likes to blitz a lot. You have a team that can slow the run down quite a bit. Um, and you have a team, I think, that will be able to give them a lot of trouble, I think, on the back end as well. So it's a tough matchup in the sense that the Vikings' blueprint is no mystery at this point. They, they have leaned harder into the running game, into Dalvin Cook specifically in the last five, six weeks here than they really ever have since he's been here. And if they're not able to do that, I mean, I remember the last time they played Tom Brady, of course, was in New England a couple of years ago, and the phrase we heard from Mike Zimmer all week was, how Bill Belichick likes to make people play left-handed. In other words, don't you don't beat us with your best way to do it. And that's not necessarily the same approach here. Although Todd Bowles is a is a actually was one of the finalists for Mike Zimmer's job when he got it in 2014. Another guy from that kind of Parcells tree. So he'll have a defense that's that's ready to stop them. It's he's not Belichick, but the things that the Buccaneers do defensively put them in position. I think to make the Vikings play left-handed if, in fact, throwing the ball to the potential NFC rookie or the NFL rookie of the year and a all-pro receiver is playing left-handed. Yeah, this, this is the best run defense, the best front the Vikings are, will have gone against since the Chicago Bears. Um, and arguably right now, Tampa Bay is playing better with Ndamukong Sue, Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, Devin White, Levante David. I think, I can't remember who it was, some player – some player on one of the Zoom calls said this week that um, Mike Zimmer brought up in a team meeting that they've got all pros or pro bowlers all over the field, um, that this, this this defense really is one of the most star-studded groups that they're going to go against. And so I think it's going to be an interesting test for 
Um, not just Dalvin Cooks. I think we talk about his workload quite a bit, and obviously, obviously Dalvin's workload is, is a concern. But Kirk Cousins, he's been pretty up and down, and they're going to need him to show up on Sunday. Mike, what do you think about just kind of how this offense for the Vikings stacks up against the Bucks defense? It does kind of remind me of the Bears game, right? Because <clears throat> that was a game where they still wanted to run the ball, but they needed Cousins to make plays, especially on third down. And he did. I thought he, that was one of his better games this season. Um, but, you know, it, it, you can't count on that every time. And so I, I worry about this game. I worry about their ability to get those third down conversions to, to do the things they want to do, especially if the Bucs are bringing more pressure than the Bears were able to bring. I think there was a key in that game where didn't Keem Hicks go out kind of at some point in that game and that made this, the sailing a little bit smoother? Yeah, yeah, he had a hamstring injury in that game and just got back from that last week. So they will see him again potentially when they play the Bears next week. But, yes, that, that did happen in that first Monday night game against the Bears. And we've seen the Vikings struggle, too, a little bit with some of the interior pressure and just a lot of the blitzing that Carolina brought, Jacksonville brought. Um, and I think we're starting to see Mike Zimmer brought up, too, that they're noticing this pattern of defenses not sitting back and saying, all right, we'll just let the four-man rush handle – um, Kirk and try to play more coverage against the receivers. They're trying to press the issue and say, we'll just, we'll basically just send the house on many of these plays or at least send five. And if it's a run, great. If not, then we're just going to have that extra pass rusher and try to take away some of these bootlegs and some of the things that, as Ben said, it's not a secret what they're trying to do. They're trying to get Kirk out on the edges and basically defenses are trying to fold those in. And it worked in Jacksonville. That game should not have been as ugly as it was. And it was because they started so slow. It was a nine to six deficit at halftime. Um, they were outgained in yardage 200 something to 100 something. It just, it was an ugly game against a one in 11 team. And that's not what you want to see going into a game against Tampa Bay, where you're going to have to bring basically everybody playing well. And uh, Ben, I just don't know if they've got the matchups to do it. This is going to be a game where Gary Kubiak, this coaching staff, and Kirk Cousins are really going to have to make their money. Yeah, I'm curious to see how much they will, or for how long, rather, they will try to establish the run. Because I think you probably will have some success early, just based on the idea that they'll probably get a couple going. But over the course of the game, I think the on balance, the idea that you're going to be able to run the ball consistently against the Buccaneers is a tough proposition especially I think this line is not terribly well suited to match up with that defensive front and really that front seven that the Buccaneers have um, you know Dalvin will have a lot of work on his hands I think to probably create some things where he is has people potentially hitting him at or near the line of scrimmage so I'm curious to see how much they try to stick with that and at what point they say you know what we have to open it up. I mean, maybe the, maybe they'll surprise us and they'll have some success. They'll hit on some things that allow them to stick with that running game. But I, I just, it doesn't feel to me like this is going to be one of those where you can go in and say, all right, we're going to run Dalvin 27 times and that'll be the way we get through it. I, I think this may have to be one where you put more of it on that passing game to sort of establish things and keep drives going and account for the big plays. I think it's interesting too. The Vikings are not really looking at this as kind of a, you know, we're back, we're in the playoff mix. At least the public rhetoric is more about, and the players talk about in the locker room, it's more about just, Hey, let's kind of keep the mentality we got to get out of the one and five hole. 
Um, but Mike, they are in the playoff mix. As we mentioned, they're the seventh seed right now. This is a playoff game, a matchup uh, potentially between two NFC teams that, that are in that field. Um, how much confidence do you have in the Vikings that this could actually, is this, could this be kind of a why not us situation if you're them considering it's a 2020, it's a weird year, it's a bigger playoff field and the NFC is not that great. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you can squint and see how this season becomes, you know, some, it's certainly something more than we thought it would be at this point. They, they have gotten themselves back at least in the playoff conversation after a one and five start would be in the playoffs if they started right now, but I still think we're talking about a team that has a lot of flaws and isn't going anywhere too far in, in the big picture. But the the question I have at this point is, is there enough evidence to suggest this is a team that plays to the level of its competition to a certain degree, or is this just a team that is runs hot and cold and is kind of has had some kind of fluky performances and escaped against bad teams and and lost some close ones against good teams like Seattle and Tennessee. Yeah, they do. I think there is a little bit of this team playing kind of up and down because you see them go into Seattle on a primetime game and play fairly well. And Seattle just lost to the Giants. So maybe they're not world beaters either. But um, defensively, you've seen them play at least better than they have um, against Mike Glennon in the first half on Sunday. And so, Ben, what what are you thinking, I guess, if we change it to talk about Tom Brady against this defense? Mike Evans, it's Chris Godwin, who's coming off a minor procedure to, to take pins out of his finger, which I don't know how that's considered minor, but that's what they call it nowadays. Um, but it sounds like he's going to be playing. And then, of course, Antonio Brown, Gronk, just all the weapons they've got. Um, when you look at that side of the matchup, what do you think? I think this is a, a tough one um, in the sense that the injuries they have right now, the ones that they're dealing with, where Eric Hendricks, we don't know about for Sunday. Um, I guess I'm not terribly optimistic about Kendricks for Sunday, given the fact that he was already limited last week. And then he tweaks that thing on Sunday before the game. I tend to think they're going to have to be cautious with him. Um, especially with a, an injury like that, that if it's going to be hot and you're running around cramps could potentially lead to it being worse if you're going to play with it. So, I mean, that, that's something I think about too. It's not a, you know, a, something with a bone or, or something that wouldn't be affected by the heat. It's a, it's a soft tissue injury that I think could be affected by the conditions that they're going to have. It's supposed to be in the eighties and they haven't played in that really at all this season. So I, I tend to think they're going to be cautious with him. Jeff Gladney from the little bit of practice we saw today, was outdoors. So we were able to go was it had a helmet was practicing but didn't look like he was doing a lot in the, in the individual period which means it's going to be chris boyd it's going to be Cameron dantzler chris jones probably if gladney isn't able to go and we'll see how the, the week shakes out but i don't like the matchups a lot from the perspective of how they're going to be able to cover all the options that the bucks have especially given the fact that they have not been great at getting pressure without having to bring extra. And the thing with Tom Brady has been, it's, it's this way with most quarterbacks, but when you have a, a guy that's in his forties, that isn't the most mobile quarterback in the world, if you can get pressure with four and make him have to get rid of the ball, make him have to make throws with guys in his face, you have a better chance. But if you have to blitz, he's seen it all. And as Mike Zimmer said, you can't fool a lot of quarterbacks these days. You're certainly not going to fool him. So if you're bringing pressure, you have to be awfully strong on the back end to be able to make that work. And I, 
I think getting a pass rush on Brady and getting in his face without having to devote a lot of extra resources to doing it is going to have to be one of the keys to this because I don't love the matchups on the back end of things for them. And Brady hasn't been like, you know, lights out. He's No, he hasn't. I think he's, I mean, this is his 21st season. He's 43 years old. It's some of it's probably to be expected, but um, it's a new I think scheme. It, that too. Yeah. And, and there's Quite a lot a of talk. Different. There's a lot of talk about, um, I think just kind of Arians wanting that deep vertical scheme and, and Brady being more of a guy who likes quicker things, likes to decipher a defense, figure the hole out and then just get the ball out right away. Whereas Arians is more of that kind of old school, wanting that vertical drop kind of passing game and right now it's just not meshing too well Brady's got seven interceptions over the last four games going back and looking at his career he hasn't had that many in a four game stretch since 2011 so this is some kind of inefficiency that he's not used to and making mistakes that he's not used to making that frequently and with that skill talent it just doesn't make sense because you've got Tristan Wirfs on the front end um, up, up at offensive tackle he's been playing really good for them um, you've got weapons and guys at every spot that it just doesn't make sense for it not to be coming together so the Vikings hope should be potentially that that dysfunction is going to continue. Um, it could be a high scoring game though, if the Vikings can figure it out, because this is actually the, the number one and number two red zone offenses in the NFL. And with Mike Evans and Adam Thielen, I'm interested to see how that kind of plays out. Um, and Mike, maybe you're taking the overs in this game. How do you feel about Tom Brady against the? I don't think Tom Brady is Peyton Manning, 2015 level cook, but he hasn't looked good in the games that I've been able to watch that said, I think this matchup is really tough for the Vikings. So this, this could be a, a game where a lot, it, where Tampa Bay could score a lot early. The Vikings could be kind of forced into a bit of a track meet where they are, you know, forced to open it up a little bit more. And yeah, you could see both teams in the high twenties or early or low thirties or, you know, or one, or one team uh, significantly ahead of the other. I just, I, I don't know how they're going to cover Gronk, uh, especially if Ken, if Kendricks is out. Uh, I don't like that matchup at all in pass coverage. Um, you know, I, I, their, their young corners will be tested in ways that they haven't been before, um, you know, by a, a really good veteran quarterback. I mean, when was, who was the last good quarterback they played? Um, was, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, they beat them, but that was, you know, in a 60 miles of a hurricane they played in that day. So, yeah, that's probably the last one, though. You're right. So they haven't they haven't seen a lot of arm talent. And the Braves and the great arm. But he's, he's going to be if, if he's put in a scheme where you can make the right decisions. Like you're gonna have a hard time slowing him down. So and, you know, and they've they've got a good running back too who can make plays. So I I don't love this. It, it's less of a six and six versus seven and five, and more of a just looking at the matchups, the injuries on both sides, and just saying, ah, this just doesn't feel like the right fit for the Vikings. And it's you know, and that's it's, it's probably too bad for them because it's a big game. You look at implication wise, which we can probably get to in a little bit more, but you know. They win this game. They're really in the driver's seat to make the playoffs. They lose it. They still got a chance. But then you're talking about got to beat Detroit, got to beat Chicago, maybe have to still beat New Orleans too, which is no easy task. So I don't know if this is the easier of New Orleans and and Tampa Bay and trying to get one more. Um, But it it doesn't feel like a great matchup to me. Well, Mike, we were talking before the podcast. They could go two and two. They could just take care of the, the NFC North games against the Bears and the Lions be eight and eight and potentially be right there in the mix to still have that seventh seed. Yeah. I remember mean, it was a few weeks ago. You asked who I thought was going to falter and I actually correctly somewhat predict the Cardinals, uh, mm-hmm. someone who is going to fall off They're six and six now 
Kyler Murray doesn't look right to me watching the game of the night. It seems like something's up with something more is up with his arm than they want to let on. Um, they've, you know, they play San Francisco. So one of those teams is going to lose this week. Um, you know, it could be both of them at six and seven after that one, if San Francisco can win, or it could be, um, you know, Arizona getting that one and pulling ahead, but the Vikings will have the tiebreaker advantage over Arizona if they finish tied. Um, I, I think that, I think that's already determined, right? They, they currently do, but I think based on common opponents and everything like that, I think they would finish up that way. So if it ends up in a two-way tie with Arizona at eight and eight and nobody else can get there, that could be good enough. And Hey, we've seen Eli Manning and the giants go on a run before Ben, why not Kirk <laughs> cousins and the Vikings? Well, you know, it's interesting because as it sits now, if they're the seventh seed, they go to Lambeau field in the first round. And I don't think that that's the worst matchup for them. I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of Vikings fans that, I mean, when I, I first tweeted out a picture of the playoff field on Sunday night and there was, it was kind of a mix. There were people saying, bring it on. Uh, they don't want any part of us. And then there were people saying, we don't want any part of Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. And, you know, that, that last game, it, it's hard to know how much of a barometer that is given the weather, given the fact that I think David Bakhtiari was out for the Packers. They have Alan Lazard back. I mean, their offense would be in, in better position, but that run defense <laughs> would have a hard time with Dalvin Cook. We've seen it that he has turned into a Packers killer that perhaps they, the Vikings have not had since Randy Moss. And I'm well aware of what Adrian Peterson did against them too. So um, if you ended up in that matchup, I think they'd say, yeah, we'll take our chances. You know, they'd have some confidence going out to Seattle uh, as much as anybody can have with that, because you're, you're not in there with the fans cranking the decibel levels to record ratings and that sort of thing. And if you get somehow end up in the, in the five seed, then you're playing the giants. So in a bad NFC, I mean, maybe I, the thing I, I guess I don't quite get and everybody's saying it based on, Oh, we beat the saints twice in the playoffs. Well, those teams are awfully different. I, I don't know that that would be the team I'd want to see in the first round, especially if, Drew Brees is back and that would require the saints to, to fall off and the Packers to pass them for the number one seed. But um, the, Hey, we beat the saints twice in the playoffs. Well, you know, how hard can it be again? I, I'm not sure I quite agree with that line of thinking, but the other ones, yeah, I, I could see it where you'd be able to say we have a chance to go in there and win. All right. Well, we got about five or 10 minutes. Let's get, take some questions here. Um, Mike's got some queued up. I'll start with one here from Matt who asked with Holton Hill, let go. What is the future of the Vikings cornerback group beyond Cameron Dantzler and Jeff Gladney? Um, ben, Mike, the Vikings did let go of Holton Hill. I thought it was interesting that this comes right after Mike Zimmer said it really praised the play of both rookies, Dantzler and Gladney, after that Jacksonville game and said that I hope we're set there for a while. Um, I don't think we've heard him talk that confidently about the young guys he's got at that spot. Then they let go of Holton Hill after a frustrating few years of suspension and injuries. Um, Ben, what do you think is the future beyond those two rookies? And does it include a guy like Chris Boyd? Well, I, I think the future may be Mike Zimmer at the podium in April, uh, trotting out to just one more lion again. I mean, I, I could see that because, I mean, yes, Chris Boyd is, I think he's been better than we probably expected him to be, but I don't know if they're going to look at him and say, this guy's the long-term answer as, probably a base corner. I, 
because I, I think it's still a question of whether they see Gladney as an outside guy. Mike Hughes is still here. I don't know if that will be the case. I, I think, you know, from the conversations I've had, I think there are some reservations about Mike Hughes long-term in terms of the health and in terms of, you know, just how much you can sort of ride that line and play at an effective level when you've had neck injuries. And it's understandable. That's, that's human nature. But I do think that's part of the, the concern with him going forward is, is he going to be able to play effectively and, and do what you need to do given that injury history? So I don't know that he's going to be part of it, or at least in a way that you're going to go in saying we can count on this guy. So um, they're going to have cap questions, whether or not the cap drops or whether it potentially stays flat, which would be good news for the Vikings, but still puts them in a situation where they have to do some work. So I think it's very possible they're back at that spot where they're drafting a corner in the first round and adding that to Dantzler, Gladney, hoping Harrison Hand continues to develop, you know, kind of building the group from there. Yeah, and I think that's the frustrating thing with Boyd is that some of the the issues lately have been on special teams. That's supposed to be his thing. Like that's supposed to be the thing that he's kind of really carved a rollout for, and it's been kind of a struggle for him. Uh, Mike, what do you think? And then do you got any more questions to you? Yeah, I think corner-wise, I think they're just one more. I don't know if it's a first-rounder, but they, they can never have too many, right? And they've been decent at identifying, you know, Dantzler was, what, a third-round pick? So it doesn't have to be, you know, the first-round pick necessarily where they find some some value. But I could see them addressing that more. Um, it, it, like you said, Zimmer can never have enough. And they had a lot to replace. I mean, they basically got rid of their top three corners from last year and, you know, um, Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, and, and Xavier Rhodes, who Rhodes, I believe, is having a pretty good season. But, um, yeah, I, I could see them re, the, the restocking continuing and adding some more, you know, bona fide talent there. And I do have a question that kind of dovetails right into that. Um, Danny Carlson on DM um, as, a, as a, a, a bright spot, actually, says, credit where credit's due. Rick Spielman's had two really good drafts the last two years. Is 2020 maybe his best ever? Jefferson clearly a home run, reloading the secondary with what looks like two high-quality starters and a guard, maybe tackle, who should be a fixture on the O-line going forward, not to mention a potential gem in Wanham. What do you guys think? Is this – we need to give Spielman, what, you know, 12 games into 2020? How do we assess that draft? I think, yeah, I think we need to wait a little bit, but I do think that it needs to clear the bar of – 2015 if we're assessing best because there's certainly ones for worst which i think was 2016 if i remember 2016 correctly was 16 bad. was not good yeah 15 though eric hendrick's second round daniel hunter third round stefan diggs fifth round you don't get much better i think in having day two day three than that and if they get all pros at at day two if they get three all pros in day two and day three out of this draft absolutely um because yeah, they got and, two basically out of the of day two in 2015 Kendrick's That's right. Hunter. Yeah. Yep. So if, if you can do that and you pay these guys multi, multi millions of dollars because they're that good, then yes, it is the best one. But right now I would still say 2015 is, uh, is better. Well, and you, you mentioned those guys. I mean, you know, Diggs certainly you deserve a lot of credit for that one as well. Even if he's not here at the moment, they got great production out of him while he was here. Um, and the, the level of production was not the reason he's not here. 
So you have that. You have Trey Waynes, who was a starter. I mean, yes, they would have liked more from the 11th overall pick, probably, but um, he was a starter for some good defenses. And you know, TJ Clemmings at least was able to step in and play a little bit for them. I mean, certainly not. I mean, you're, you're talking about him as the fifth or sixth best pick from that draft, but they were at least able to get some production out of him for a while. I mean, that, that one is, it hangs on Kendricks, Hunter, Diggs, and then to a lesser extent, some of the other guys. But I, that one, I think to me is still the best. Now this could go a lot of different ways, but there've been drafts in the past. I think we've looked at and said, well, it's a really good draft. And then you look down the road and it's maybe not quite as, as uh, impressive as it seems. I mean, 2017, I think would be, Another one where initially it was, hey, this is they're getting a lot out of this draft. And now you look at it, it's it's Dallin, and that's about it. Yeah, 2012 was the same thing where, hey, Matt Khalil, Blair Walsh, this is looking pretty good, huh? Yep. Not so Harrison Smith, and that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> and Jerry's right. They got a good production out of Jerry's right for a while, too. Um, Red Ellison, don't forget that. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, we got one question from Joel asked about the tight ends. We didn't bring this up, but the Vikings were without Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith at today's practice on Wednesday of this week. Certainly they could get those guys back later in the week, but right now, Tyler Conklin was their only tight end out there at practice. Um, they had some fullbacks in there with, as well, but Joel wants to know, it feels like Irv has been injured, but the tight ends haven't been utilized as much this season. Is that because of Dalvin cook and having two really good wide receivers or is something else going on with that position? Um, well, I would say right now it's injuries. And then also I think that um, they were leaning on Irv Smith more and it, right until he got hurt. It was the second touchdown catch and was against the Lions, I think, in November. And that was the last yep. time we saw him in that game. And then he popped up with that groin injury. Um, the question using, is, did he do it while he was dancing? And my assumption is that he did. And I have been able to – nobody has told me no, but nobody will tell me yeah. yes. So I mean, he got checked out. He it was touchdown celebration. Go right over to the the trainer's bench and get checked for that injury. And they, for whatever reason, did not put the medical tent up for that one. So we were actually able to watch it. And it's like, yep, that was the sequence. So um, certainly would lead one to think that that's what did it. And then I think he came back against the Cowboys, injured his back, and then hasn't played since. And so he. Yep. he he warmed up today in practice, but didn't have a helmet on. Didn't look like he was going to do much. Um, with that said, if he were healthy, I think you would have seen the trajectory continue to go up for him. I think he still would have been very much involved in what they wanted to do. I think it's just been injuries that have undercut that. And then you can't, they don't put Kyle Rudolph in the same role. They're going to, they're going to have Kyle Rudolph run a lot of this, a lot of similar routes, but they're not going to split him out wide and have him run some of these things that they're more using like a Tyler Conklin in that role than Irv Smith. And so, or then Kyle Rudolph, I should say, for Irv Smith. So I just think the production's gone down because right now they've had to lean on Kyle Rudolph, who at this point of his career is not the kind of dynamic downfield receiver that they really want at that spot. The other thing I would add to that is if you look at it over the last couple of years, Kirk Cousins leans very heavily on receivers. A lot of his targets have gone to, and they've had great receivers to, to lean on, but when he gets in trouble, it's I'm looking to Stefan Diggs. I'm looking to Adam Thielen. I think now it's I'm looking to Adam Thielen and then I'm looking to Justin Jefferson, probably in that order. But a lot of his throws, I think, are and we've talked about it. We've seen it. Zimmer has mentioned it. He looks to his first read a lot. And 
there's going to be a lot of plays where his first read is one of those receivers, probably more so than it is a tight end, just in terms of the way the progressions are outlined and the way they're trying to probably scheme things to get the ball to certain guys. So I, I think that's part of it too. I think that's worth considering just in terms of how Cousins goes through things and how he tends to distribute the ball. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? And, and do we have any more questions? Good for the questions, but I think he, he almost like he skips the tight end in his progression sometimes. He goes from receivers to the running backs. And it's like if the receiver is open, he, he's like, okay, my clock is ticking. I'm going to throw it to Dalvin Cook, check it down. He, he doesn't, doesn't get a lot of that kind of intermediate 10-yard tight end route. And they don't, you're right, without Irv Smith healthy, they don't seem to do a lot of plays where the tight end is the first option. Um, and I think they were starting to do some of that more where trying to exploit matchups. And unless you're in the red zone, Kyle Rudolph is not going to be a guy that's going to exploit a matchup. Yeah, and Kyle Rudolph, even then, they're not using him in the red zone that much. I think he's got one touchdown catch this year, and I think that was way back against the Colts. Uh, Herb Smith had more in his last game. He was healthy against the Lions um, before that groin injury. He had those two catches that they were using him on those play-action kind of bootlegs in the red zone where he was quick enough to get away from people in the smaller windows. They're not using Kyle in that same spot. I don't think they want Kirk, or at least Kirk isn't throwing in those tighter windows. They're not testing that kind of contested catch situation as much it's more this goal line fade back of the end zone the kind of thing where coaches talk about only your guy can go get it um really risk averse kind of goal line and, and red zone stuff and hey it's the number one red it's zone working, yeah. in the nfl it is absolutely working so um if that involves Kyle Rudolph not catching touchdown passes then it's just going to be other guys getting in the mix um all right well we should break this episode of the podcast thank you guys for checking this out you can check out all of our work at startribune.com Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>